Hi, everybody. I'm Miles Ward, and this is Cloud and Clear. I'm CTO at SADA, and I am super, super excited to have two of my friends who are right out at the cutting edge of figuring out the dollars and cents of public cloud. Sense as in like your sense, like are you being even remotely sensical about the way you approach this stuff? Um, Sasha and Lucas are, are really incredible folks. Uh, I want you to take some time to listen to their story and how they've come to the platform and think through together with us how to how to make sense of your cloud stack. So first, Sasha, maybe introduce yourself to the crowd. Sure. Uh, so uh, Sasha, I'm a CEO and co-founder of Ternary. I've got uh, two other co-founders, Patrick and Josh, our uh, chief product officer and CTO. And uh, we started the company last year during COVID. Uh, we we left our we we're working together uh, at a company, and we we left our uh, secure jobs after COVID and decided to uh, solve for the pain that we were feeling ourselves uh, at the company we we're at. We had done a migration and um, run into the cloud budget mess, and you know for reasons we'll probably get into later. We we decided to pursue it, and it's been going great. We met Lucas along the way, and it's been a lot of fun. Oh, that's I, I uh, <laughs> all the startups I did. We made the horrible mistake of of not solving for our own pain, and as a result, you've never heard of the names of any of those because they have summarily failed. So, <laughs> good good job picking a, a place where you've got a clear idea of what the customer needs as a potential customer. Uh, Lucas, maybe the same with you. Sure, um, I am currently a developer advocate and a cloud architect at the Broad Institute where we do genomic research, among other things. And um, we've been using GCP since the beginning. We were one of the first 50 trusted testers of GCE when it came out, I think, in 2012 or something like that. So we were early adopters of the platform from the very beginning. And um, I think part of my story here is that, you know, sort of unbeknownst to me, a huge challenge in using the cloud turns out to be dealing with the financial side of things. And so I had no particular interest or skill set in this space previously, but in growing our GCP environment at my workplace from nothing to what is a pretty big environment at this point, um, along the way, most of the challenges had to do with finance and communications and things like that rather than technology and so over that time i've grown to be sort of well known in this space um in respect to how to deal with billing at a at a massive scale and at some point when sasha was looking for some additional people to talk to google suggested that he reach out to me and so i like to chat about this stuff i wanted to hear what they were doing and we met a year or two ago and sort of during that meeting, um, Sasha described some of the problems they were trying to solve. And I, I pointed out some of the tools they could use to do that. And then I asked a question about like, is this going to be a one time thing that they're going to do for this one company or is this stuff going to live on in some kind of product? And uh, sure enough, you know, I hear back from them a while later and it turns out it, it is going to lead to a product. And that's why we have... Mm -hmm. uh, this conversation around ternary. Yeah. It's a beautiful point to bring up because Lucas is part of our Genesis story. Like we didn't even realize that it was possible to 
build a, a startup and a product around it till he asked us, oh, are, are you guys asking these questions in the context of building something yourselves? And we're, at the moment, we're just trying to solve for our company's own issues, right? And not thinking of a product. But when he said it, we realized, oh, no one's built it. And there's an opportunity here. And I remember distinctly fly on the plane flying back uh, talking to Patrick about like, hey, you know, after we're done solving the problem for our company, maybe maybe we should do something with this, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's so, I mean, I remember I started at GCP at, you know, in 2014 and, uh, you yeah. know, had kind of been asked around like, you know, who are the killer customers? And it was like, you know, near Tarkic in ways and you or the Lucas were the sort of two OG customers already. And like, I talked to Googlers now and they're like, oh, Miles is the, like, you know, literally I was on a, a clubhouse last week with Kelsey. He's like, you're the OG cloud guy. I'm like, no, no, no. You got to talk to Lucas, man. He's the oldest of the OGs. <laughs> so, so there's, you know, there's, there's a bunch of, you know, benefit from that much history in the platform and recognizing like how different it is from, you know, that's seven years ago, man. Like it's like light years in comparison. You're in the GCE. There's a bunch of our customers that have been in each of these sort of different downstream alphas. Mm-hmm. In the uh, in the in the run up to to the sort of conversion over into productization, right? That that transition that's super fascinating. There's there's a bunch of spots where you know I think the problems that you are working on solving internally are stuff that you know even internally at Google we we hypothesized about doing all the time. Like I I propose I ended up building the pricing calculator because I was pissed about it. Made a bunch of noise trying to get more help on this set of problems. So like. Congratulations, you you absolutely beat me to it, and and I couldn't sucker Google into doing it, but uh, but I think you're doing a great job of of, of getting those building blocks done. How talk to me through like, you know, where, where you feel like you are now in comparison to having just started. Like, what's what's uh, uh, what feels good about where you're at? Well, I mean, the the first thing I should note in and in relation to your you know point about Google, like uh, we love the platform and mm-hmm. we had chosen it for our migration over AWS for very good reasons. Like we, we felt that not just the technical teams, but the sales teams as well that we were dealing with, they felt very, I don't know, startupy to me. They felt genuine and they were, we were getting attention in a way that perhaps we weren't from AWS. And uh, sure. we made a really hard uh, turn towards GCP at the tail end of all of our negotiations. And it turned out all to to be good and accurate, like our, our, our sense about what the platform would be. And um, our development teams loved it. And the only thing that we felt was missing was like how we solve the cloud budget pain. Totally. And we went through, like, I call it the stages of grief a company goes through when they encounter <laughs> the cloud budget pain, you know, like first you ignore it. And then, then when you acknowledge it, you, you begin to look around at the native tooling that the clouds offer, right? Their own sure. consoles. And then you discover what might be missing there. And then you try and you say, well, they've got APIs. I'll, I'll build it myself. Yeah. And then you discover, oh, this needs to be your core competency, right? And yeah. it's a full-time job, right? And it's not like set it and forget it, you know, walk away. It needs to be an ongoing thing. And then, of course, we discovered the incumbent marketplace as well. And that's kind of how we arrived at building our own thing. But like in terms of where we were before and where we are today, um, you know, in September, we we went full time and we were a team of three. And today we're a team of 10 and we've got some great advisors as well. Um, 
we released our product to market in the middle of February. And our MVP already, if you look at the feature set, it's better than the, all the things on the market. Like, of course, I have a biased viewpoint, but like sure. uh, the, the, the features that we release for GCP are quite unique. And we have a weekly release cycle, uh, one week sprints, and we release new stuff every week very consistently. Um, when we started in September, it was just an idea. And, you know, today, thankfully, like, uh, and, and we're very happy that SADA is our first partner. And, you know, uh, we had a very, very short list of companies that we wanted to work with. And uh, SADA was on the top of that list for different reasons. Like some of them you might figure out, some of them might be useful for you to hear. Like uh, we wanted our product to operate in a way that was totally transparent to our customers. Like we had dealt mm -hmm. with a few companies that come our way at the last company we worked at and we were shopping around for cloud optimization tools and they weren't necessarily transparent with their customers. They would sort of hide the margin and you wouldn't know the customer, the end customer wouldn't know what was being delivered quite. Um, and so we wanted to deal with partners, uh, in a way that felt good to us as well. And we could tell right away that SADA was perfectly aligned with its customers, right? And every person that we met along the way, you know, from John to Heather to mm. Vince to yourself, like all reflected that sort of transparent feeling and that sort of startup vibe, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that's been wonderful. And then of course the fact that, well, you have such a huge GCP customer base and you are sort of on the bleeding edge of uh, of working out all those problems was super appealing to us. So September, there was nothing, no product. And today we've got a product, we've got fantastic partners. Um, we've got design partners at scale as well, uh, giving us great feedback about the features we should build. And then of course, we've arrived at this partner first approach to market mm. as well. Like we're listed in the GCP marketplace um, and we're sort of sprinting towards um, fleshing out the feature set, let's call it. Um, what we're most excited about is taking the additional native GCP services like data product, data flow, uh, all the things our customers care about. <clears throat> and first um, creating insight into those services and then following up with optimizations for those same services as well. So uh, it feels like we've, We've traveled a couple of years within a short amount of time, uh, but we're really happy about it. And uh, I will say it's an adventure that I should have gone on earlier in my life, but for whatever reason, I didn't. No, no, knowing what I know about the state of the billing API you'd have had to integrate with if you did this a couple of years ago, I'm <laughs> so happy that you did this the year you did, because... <laughs> it was yeah i mean I, I think it's clear that mm -hmm. if we had tried to do this earlier it wouldn't have been viable because there weren't sufficient you know capabilities exposed in gcp to mm -hmm. allow us to build you know proper feature set on top of that so um mm -hmm. i think there have been a lot of advances in the last couple of years that have made the gcp console mm -hmm very viable for basic sure. um, functionality. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, look, looking back two or three years ago, 
I was using Tableau and Data Studio to analyze the data. I mean, there was a time before the BigQuery um, export was available, and I was trying to do all that with CSV files that were coming once a day. Um, And so the evolution has been huge. Now we have um, not only the, you know, the ability to look at the the GCP data directly from the BigQuery feed that's produced by Google, but there's now these budgets and a budget API that you can integrate with. And the budgets now have the capability of reporting to PubSub. So that's another way to integrate with the platform. And Google has exposed a suite of recommendation APIs that sort of give us insights that we can then use to produce even better insights for the customer. And I think another thing about Google's approach is that so much focus around the machine learning aspect of it. Like instead of just being like, here's your bill, you know, they're like, here's some instances that you're using that are bigger than you need and you can save money by reducing the size, for example. And so if we can take those at scale and try to produce useful interpretations of them and communicate back to the user, then that's really powerful and it makes it very seamless for the user. Yeah. And you know, it's not just the right timing on the technical side. It's, I'd like to give like a shout out to actually uh, the incumbent competitors in the space. Like this is kind of a brand new market and companies like cloud health and cloudability prior to acquisition, like they pioneered it, right? Like folks like JR, Matt, and I think we owe them a debt of gratitude because they were doing this before anyone else, before there was a market for it even, right? And then most recently, I, I think what I'm most thankful for in terms of timing is uh, the FinOps Foundation. Uh, you know, it moved over to the Linux Foundation. It's an independent entity, and they are creating best practices and uh, offering them up by API, and have a lot of plans around that. And they're making yeah. it, I think, what's close to an industry standard. And I think were it not for all these things happening, you know, all the work that Google did all the work that that you both did in the past as well, Cloud Health, CloudAbility, the FinOps Foundation, I, I think we're sort of standing uh, on the shoulders of other people, right? The work that they've done. So I very much appreciate that and, and very aware of it too. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I spent, I was early, early solutions architecture at AWS. We get this security notification that there's a whole bunch of root credentials being used out of Portland like across multiple different accounts were like, oh man, somebody has hacked their way in and is stealing accounts. I was also at the same time, like building up this, this copy of a machine to mine Bitcoins. Cause that's what people were doing when they hacked into windows instances. It was like all of these like dark days at the beginning where you're trying to figure out how to keep people from stealing cloud. And mm-hmm. so I, I literally drove to Portland and had Matt and JR and those guys beat up this whiteboard about how they were securing root credentials. Something like, if you had to do all of the hot violence that they had to do to be able to even get access to this data, it's just a huge burden to bear as a startup or like, wow, like all of this just cruft that, you know, clearly nobody wants to have to fight with. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very glad that you get to just get into the hot functions that, that customers actually need. Uh, and, and I think that the need there is bottomless. So we represent this you know, huge percentage of uh, relatively of, of Google Cloud customers. And 
Uh, you know, I get asked all the time by Google product managers, like, hey, do they want more features in BigQuery? Or are they like really geeked about like performance specs in GCE? Or, you know, what are, you know, what are they feedback do they have for Kubernetes? I'm like, they don't care about any of that. They want the build to not suck. Did you make it so that they understand what this stuff costs? Right. And yeah. and I, I think that there's um uh, it's one of those places where like if we could describe to Googlers that the bill being solved requires them working around some of the basic laws of physics or that it's like a daunting multi-generational computer science problem. If, you know, <laughs> they would attack it and there'd be like this rabid assault on, on the sort of problem space and it'd be all over in a week, right? Like Spanner breaks all sorts of basic preconceptions I have about how data works and they just try to bang that thing out in a couple of years. Well, the bill isn't that way. It's just hard work. Right? You just have to pay attention to the nuance and the detail. And I think our customers... Expect that as a minimum barrier to entry. I've talked to a lot of companies, you know, about this, the big numbers, right? There's like three and a half trillion in total infrastructure everywhere. And maybe less than 10% of that, about 300 billion is in public cloud now. And if everybody sort of generally agrees that cloud is better, and it seems like there's, you know, more than 10% of the workloads have made it to public cloud, there's some delta there, and that's the aggregate cost savings of cloud. The impediment is figuring out how to shove it into the 10Q filings of every public company and having it make sense in the budget process. So right. maybe go down one layer further for folks. I mean, it's one thing to say, like, we help you understand the bill. Like, is there any extra detail you can give about, you know, what, what kinds of problems they might be running into that a product like Ternary helps them solve? I can yeah. tell a little story, actually, yeah. uh, if you like. So, um, you know, at where I work, we have a large GCP environment and we use other clouds as well. So it's not just for, the, GCP for the audience. He's not joking. It's like extra large. What was I reading? You were like trying to debate like how much more quickly you could delete petabytes of data from GCS and that that would be a big, we like deleting like, data. That's a, yeah. that's a fun thing to do. Um, so, but we're on the order of, you know, tens of thousands of GCP projects, hundreds of thousands of buckets. And so there's a lot of, uh, I guess the further detail I should mention is there's a lot of funding sources. We're, we're not just paying our bill with a credit card and that's, you know, the company budget for IT. Yep. It's being paid out of hundreds of different grants. So it makes the billing problem sort of more challenging because it's not just one billing account. It's whatever your problems you have on a billing account, we have that hundreds of times over. And so one thing that's really challenging is Google now provides these um CUDs. You can you can purchase these CUDs and there's a um, API that provides you with recommendations on how you can consume these. And so for me, managing a large environment, you know, I have thousands of projects, some of which can benefit more from CUDs and some not so much. And sort of making those decisions around where should I focus my attention to get the best bang for the buck? That's pretty challenging at this scale. And it requires me to write a lot of code and to kind of piece through the data. But in ternary, there's a feature where I can go in and sort of drill down on a region and an instance type and a project and see the, the project that is consuming the most compute resources. And then they provide a, a visual tool that allows me to sort of move a, a, a bar, you know, one side to the other to sort of make a decision or or an experiment on what if I purchased uh, this many cuds for one year? And what if I also 
added in some cuts for a three-year agreement as well. Like what would that look like? And so I, I can run those analyses right on the screen and come up with a real understanding of what it would look like and then make that decision right from there. And so it's like they put the time in to analyze that data and to figure out a way to present it to the user that makes sense and is easy. And I don't have to write all of this code in order to understand what's going on in my environment. I can simply point someone at this visual and say, like, look how much money we could save if we made this decision. And is there a different kind of decision that you'd prefer to make? Like, let's, you know, tweak these dials a little bit until we get it to look the way you want. And then we'll see what that looks like. And honestly, I don't know how I would have accomplished that goal prior to having that tool. Yeah, you're exactly right that that people are horrific creators. They're great editors, right? If you say, this is what you're going to be able to see. This is how much we would save if we make a choice. Then it's quantified. They're like, oh, well, yeah, I, I want to have that meeting. I want to understand how we straighten that out. Where before, if it's hypothetical, maybe we could save some stuff. I don't know. I'll have to do some analysis. It's It goes nowhere, right? So, and, and there are, uh, you know... Uh, I always get frustrated, you know, at like cell phone plans, right? I'm like, why do you, why do you give me all these options during sign up time? Just like watch my usage and charge me the right amount, you pricks, right? Like it's just no reason that it should work that way. But there are so many different pricing models. And if there's anything that I've seen, it's not like the number of models or the level of complexity or the number of SKUs in total or any of those things are going down. They're going up. Right. Like they're going to give you more and more options. I think it's the right thing for the cloud providers to do to just ship primitives like wild animals and every different packaging mm-hmm. and sorting that they can figure out how to make money with. And, and it's a perfect counterpoint to them to have a product like Ternary in place to help you think through the optimization dynamics and, and make sure that you're capturing the opportunities that exist. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at GCP, when it first came out, mm-hmm. you had these extended use discounts, which was mm-hmm. super, super easy for the user to consume because it was just like, do what you're doing and we'll give you some of the money back afterwards if you do it. Yeah, enough of sustained it. use. And yeah, so yeah. Awesome. The sustained use, exactly. And so it's like, oh, I used the machine all month and then I got a credit because I did that. Thank you. And so there's mm-hmm. no effort. You just get free savings, which is nice. But then there's some folks that are like, but I know I'm going to use these machines for a really long time. I want an even bigger discount. And so then they add this feature and now you, you're faced with this decision to make on what's the best way to approach your particular problem. So then you start to need these third-party tools to help you make a decision between all the choices that the vendor is providing. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think it's, how much do you feel like, you know, maybe this is more for Sasha, like there's, on the one side, we are, you know, I, I think the tools that are being built now, your tool in specific is, uh, you know, set, sets up an additional layer of, of viable buyers, right? Like makes it so that another class of customers can can successfully navigate the morass of public cloud and come out the other side with something that's successful and works with inside their business. Um, but but I think the the next round past that is even bigger, right? Where you get to tighter controls, not just analysis around this stuff. I, I think one is a necessary precursor of the latter. Like you, you, you know, not going to be able to automate this stuff if you don't have the data to begin with. What you know? How how do you see that? sort of maturing over time what you know what do you think companies and businesses need to do to to kind of get ready for that change so um at a high level i i think what we're talking about is eventually getting at the cost of a company's widget right like not only for just their cloud spend which might be their largest spend but like 
how much that widget costs across all their other systems, right? And I think our product is a step in that direction. And certainly there are lots of companies pursuing it, but like at a high level, philosophically, like Ternary is about helping companies make the most effective trade-off decisions. Lucas was just talking about like having discussions and our essential insight that came from our own experience and our own pain and from talking to other members of the FinOps Foundation who were having cloud budget problems as well was that the missing element in the marketplace today was actually collaboration. It was, you know, the algorithm surfaces a recommendation, but ultimately to complete it, to get engineers to take action, you actually have to have a conversation between finance right. and you, right? you can have the finance people want to do it all day long, but they've got to right. go execute an impossibly technical thing over here. And if they click the wrong button, they're right. screwed. Like now you got to figure out how to submit a ticket. They've never submitted the ticket before to back something out. Like the operational right. implementation of the asks that they have that are well-founded asks is so right. foreign structurally to the way yes. that they're like, yeah. do I send them a PO? No, you do not send them a PO. You click a button <laughs> in a website, right? And you're like, oh, right. I don't ever want to do that. And, and and let's zoom out for a moment and talk about what's actually happened in the background, because that'll be useful context for the rest of the conversation, right? What's happened is we've gone from an environment where on-premise, we had capital one-time expenditures, right? and very little operational cost. And yep. it was the high priests in finance and engineering who would say, let's buy a whole bunch of racks of servers and implement them. And then once we're done, it doesn't matter how often the developers use them, as long as they don't top it out, it doesn't cost us extra money. And then what we said was, hey, DevOps is great. SREs are great. We want engineers to be able to scale the product really fast and have an API to spin up infrastructure, which we all agree with, which we know makes a company go faster. But we didn't give them the tools and the knowledge to know that what they actually had was an API to spend money. And yep. they were the decision makers all of a sudden, right? And so, of course, we gave them a Porsche and, you know, they ran it off the rails. They floored <laughs> right? it. <laughs> you want to go fast? I'll give you 10,000 CPUs right now, right? Mm -hmm. But of course you yeah, get it's like an API to spin up credit cards, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. So this is part of the shift that happened. And then at the same time, because the shift happened, finance needed visibility in an, on an ongoing basis. And they needed to be in the conversation to purchase things like CUDs, long-term contracts, right? You go to an engineer, you know, they're not in that mind frame and they don't know about the budget necessarily. It's finance that has that context. Really, it's like cats and dogs needing to work together uh, for a company to be successful in the cloud, right? Now, and let me just throw some statistics at you that maybe you know, maybe you don't, but like 80% of companies that are operating in the cloud overspend their budgets. And when oh, they do, sure. it's like 20 to 50%. Right. And you mentioned before, like where the infrastructure market is today, uh, I, what I the statistics I've heard is like it's a roughly one hundred twenty billion dollar year market today projected to be five hundred billion two years from now and then trillions a while, like because maybe only five to 10 percent of infrastructure spend is in the cloud yet. Right. But it's all yeah, moving. I, that direction. Yeah, I think the 300 also grabs. Yeah. Um, like all of the platform as a service and ah, workspace it, it. and meets and all that. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And so you have a train going down the tracks. that's going to go like off the cliff unless you put in the guardrails. Right. And I think it is the case that 
companies have to operate in a different way. They need a different operational model for the cloud. And I think this is the idea behind FinOps, right? It's this recognition that you need this collaboration between finance and engineering. You need the best practices and you need ongoing insight and optimization to be successful with your budget. So that was our understanding at the last company we worked at. It's the pain that we had. It's the pain that we've heard from all the other folks who manage cloud budgets. And when we built our product, we built it on top of those principles, right? That's how we arrived at having collaboration features at the very heart of our product, right? So when we surface an optimization, what we do is we allow you to assign it. We allow you to have a discussion about it. Um, we allow engineering to push back on it. We allow you to say, hey, this doesn't make sense. Here's why. Here's the context that gets tracked with the optimization. Here's the sync into Jira or ServiceNow. And yep. we're just gonna we're gonna defer this for six months because it makes sense to do, you know, after uh, after six months because the contract required us to keep this multi-petabyte file, you know, until X date, right? Sure. So it leads to really effective conversations. Um, where I think we're going is once we have a really good handle on the cloud and the budgets, and once we have shifted a company's culture so that engineering and finance are working more closely together, or engineering, finance, and procurement, perhaps, then I think we can begin to bolt on additional data sources, and we can begin to sort of link all these numbers together, right? Like, imagine that you have a... Um, I don't know, you're spending X, Y, and Z on some other products that are not part of the cloud, sure. but they make up the cost of your widget, right? And you begin to pull in that information and aggregate it in one tool, a source of truth for these conversations, and you begin to assemble what the cost of your widget is. I, I think that's the the holy grail that I think most companies want. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of this that's it, it's difficult because I think companies you you describe to them the effect of the controls that they seek, right? Like I want to have an explicit, this thing's never going to cost more than a thousand bucks. Okay. If, when it goes over the thousand, I shut it off and delete all of your users' data. And they go, oh no, clearly no, that is not okay. Right. And, and, right. and I go, okay. So at a thousand bucks, I put your data into like a public repository that lets other people read it and write from it for like research purposes. They're like, no, clearly no, that is not okay, right? And so like understanding what the real bounding box and what actual operational characteristics they want their systems to have under cost pressure in the same way as it behaves or they have to understand the behavior under performance pressure or traffic pressure or scaling pressure or right. security pressure, right? It's just another dimension in those in in that optimization function we're all trying to work out. And, yeah. and I think that there's a lot where um, when when we can start to talk to finance about this from like a risk mitigation and risk management standpoint, I think there's a lot where now we're, you know, we're really talking their love language and we can really get into the work because right. those are dimensions of control that that bare metal and sort of physical infrastructures just do not have. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so it's. It's, it's one of those spots where, you know, I think the yeah. better we can enable them to, to identify and enumerate and mitigate risk, the, the faster this all goes. I, I've, got, I've got two um, related points I wanted to bring up. First was, you know, like when, when the DevOps movement first came to be, right, and like it emerged out of Agile, right, this idea of a full stack developer 
was extended into someone who also understood infrastructure and someone who could deploy and support, get feedback on to fix the product, right? So we sort of extended our thinking about what a full stack developer was. I think we need to extend it just a little bit more now. Like we need to make engineers care about their application's cost efficiency as well as a dimension of performance, right? Sure. Because until they start doing that, until they end, until someone comes to them and gives them the insight they need to know what the cost efficiency actually is, and then gives them recommendations that says, here's how you can improve it, and then maybe benchmarks their application's cost efficiency against others. We haven't given them the tools that they need, and we haven't let them know that it's important. But I think in order for companies to be successful in the cloud, I think they need that. The engineering side of the house needs that. On the other side of the house, the finance folks, they need tools to understand the data in a way that they can best absorb it too, right? They need the same cost information expressed through budgets and forecasts and actuals and CUDS analysis and all this stuff. That allows the two sides to come together in the middle to have really effective conversations, right? And and this is sort of like what our tool is doing, it's what I hope uh, competitors build into their tooling as well to really help the industry. And I think that the opportunity for companies who use the cloud is that they can build their products faster. And if they build them in such a way to take advantage of the scaling mechanisms of native services in the cloud, then they can arrive at a lower cost for their clouds, right? But they really have to be thoughtful in their approach. They need the tools and they need that culture shift. I think one thing that's really changed is the number of different mm -hmm. people or roles that can impact the cost now. Whereas mm -hmm. before, you know, with the with the physical model of buying assets, you would have like a finance person who gets the final sign off on whether a purchase gets made or not. And everyone else is kind of invisible to that until like the decision is made and the hardware arrives and the engineers are like, cool, we can use that now. And, right. you know, there's really no issues in that flow. But in the new model, you know, you have the finance people and, and Miles, to your earlier comment, I would say if you asked one of our finance people, so when it hits the $10,000, you just want everything to stop working right at that moment, they would say, yeah, like whatever's going to make the money stop spending, mm -hmm. that's what we want. And then mm -hmm. you ask the engineers who, who built the infrastructure or the PI whose research is being done on that infrastructure. And they're like, no, 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 I don't want that. So different people do want different things. The finance people are fine to have a hard cap where things just stop working. And the engineers like don't have a sufficient amount of insight into what's going on to prevent it from hitting that cap. So that's where all these tools and communication are needed. And to Sasha's point, I mean, as an engineer who's building infrastructure, I need a certain amount of insight into the billing in a way I never needed in the previous model. I never had to know who was paying for it or what the budget was. It, it's there, so I use it. And now, like, if you go into the cloud with the same model of like, oh, I can create it so I can use it, um, right. there's a huge disconnect there. And that's the problem I think we need to solve. Well, there's, we keep seeing... Uh, like there's a product on the Google side called Contact Center AI. And one of the things that it has is this concept of agent assist, where 
it'd be one thing if you had like a robot talking to people on the phone. But if you have a human talking to people on the phone, like help them out, like tear after them and give them suggestions and best practices and guidance. And when it hears stuff from the user that are questions that prompt a mm-hmm. uh, response, you know, go t- tear that stuff down. It was like immediately in that demo, I'm going like, where is agent assist for the billing console? Right. Like, tell me what stuff sucks and where I should turn it off and how to work this out. Like, you know, I don't know if they want to like name the agent assist, you know, query or, you know, Corey Quinn, the younger or, you know, they make fun of somebody about it. Right. But but generally, like having, you know, having something even just ride alongside saddle and, and help out. I know there's a bunch of work going on on the Google side. They 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 sort of rotate through different labels. Sometimes they call it self-driving cloud. Sometimes it's autopilot. There are a couple of other building blocks. Active that they assist. Have talked about. Active assist is another one that, that gets used. Yeah. Right? I, I We'll see when they like net down to I a think single that level for this. Stuff. Active assist came out of a meeting I had with Google. Ah, very good. Very good. They came it back to helpful. me and were like, yeah, we picked a name. We wanted to know what you thought. It came out of this thing you said one time. Is this nice. like the on-track system for, for Google Cloud? Or yeah, something? the yeah, self-driving cloud. Well, I mean, like the... The predecessor to that, the project at Amazon was called Kumo, and the output of that is Trusted Advisor. I proposed that. <laughs> so, like, I stood in front of Jeff Bezos and said, you know, this is stupid. We know what customers ought to be doing. We should just sort of tell them in situ. So it was rad to hear that Google was doing the work to sort of run after that. And frankly, like, rather than to derive that stuff statistically or by way of a rules engine to use this handy-dandy machine learning stuff that we've heard so much about to try and get to clearer and more accurate suggestions, which from the examples that I have seen so far uh, works really well, but it's all of that that I've seen so far is designed around this very narrow view of the user, right? So when you're talking about like, there are now lots of users, boys and girls, like we have to handle the people in finance and procurement and legal and compliance. And they don't, they have an utterly different user profile than our friends over here in development. And, uh, and you know, the assistant suggestions to that person are not going to make sense to this person and aren't, aren't actions that they can follow up on. So there's there's a bunch of this that's, uh, I know, ripe for optimization and, and ripe for better communication and better transparency and education. All of that, you know, makes for smart folks like for you working on the problem. Very, very happy for me. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And Miles, I'm, I'm curious, like from your view of it, having, you know, you worked at AWS, you worked at Google, now you're at SADA. Um, what is your view about what the natural role for the cloud provider should be in this sort of market and what the natural role for like a third party uh, tool like Ternary should be? Like, how do we all naturally align together to solve for customer pain? I mean, I think there's, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's a model uh, of communication about the telecommunications companies where you would say that they are just dumb pipes. And, and then, you know, the service offerings that they put on top, uh, you know, represent this sort of collusion effectively where they are optimizing themselves and that's silly. And, you, you know, you don't trust them to cut your bill down. They are the ones whose bill you're cutting down. They're never going to be as aggressive about that as an independent right. third party. I think there's a lot to having a, a, a check and a counter and someone to hold accountable the cloud providers. This is one of the things we get asked by customers all the time. Are you sure they built us the right amount? <laughs> like, do, do you know right. <laughs> right i'm like well you know you you consumed several hundred million iops of this kind of storage you know I, i'm not sure to how to tell whether you like accidentally did three percent too many of those or 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 you know those were underreported but yeah, that's really really now you're talking about in many cases especially for systems that are sort of small and unoptimized the cost 
of measurement of that might exceed the cost of the system itself, right? So you're in this weird arms race with a very giant competitor in the central cloud system. And there can Um, be mistakes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I had a situation not too long ago where, um, you know, we got a strange billing situation. We looked into it. It was a new service we were using. And when they provisioned the service in the platform, they mistyped the price code off by one. Um, and so we were getting paid the charge 10 X what that service was supposed to cost because they just like those, mistyped it in the pricing, uh, API. Those little zeros are pesky. Yeah. So you do, you do want to have some way to like have a, you know, a third party view or a, a different view of the, of the bill that allows you to compare it to, I mean, a lot of us are not just in one cloud, right? As yep. well. And so there's there's the idea of being able to compare like when you're doing something on one and on the other like are are these adding up like are are these competitive prices that i'm seeing oh, between yeah. these two providers or are they drastically different and that well, can and the, help you and make the providers are insane run. right like yeah. the providers have gone ape shit with a zillion different nuances inside the pricing system and slightly different assumptions between them i i don't know how much time i have spent doing horrible horrible things in spreadsheets to try and normalize the differences between these systems right like just do s3 to gcs right i mean you're talking like minute differences in the behavior of those APIs under different conditions and the pricing units are all ever so slightly is it pet bibites or pet tibites? Yeah, like oh, are you going to use the cold line and how frequently are you going to pull it oh, back? Yeah. Like, yeah. Totally crazy. How fast will you pull it back when you pull it back, right? Like, ugh. so stuff like that, um, they're hard problems. They're complexity that impedes adoption and they're naturally best solved once. Right. Like you almost want to like lay out to every future cloud customer and say, you should invest in advance. I'm just going to make it so you can actually adopt this by the time you show up ready to go to use this thing. Right. Because there's so many companies that are just they They see the marketing. They're excited about adoption. They're getting into it. They're like, yeah, as long as you fit into my budget, this is going to work great. And you're like, it won't ever fit in your budget, bro. It's very strange. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a that's a gnarly, gnarly world. It, you know, the good news to them is it makes them faster and it, in, in aggregate costs less. But it, yeah. alignment to planning is not something it, an auto uh, thing does. My, my view of the um, of the relationship, like when I first started figuring out like the startup and the problem. I kept getting the question from potential investors like, well, won't, you know, Google or Amazon or, you know, some other cloud, you know, won't they continue building their tool? And, you know, then eventually people won't need a third party tool. And and also they mentioned the dynamic about, well, you know, your cost overruns are the, you know, cloud providers profit. Right. And it made sense initially. But then when we thought about it, we realized, well, number one. The cloud providers know that their customer spend is always going to go up anyways because they use more of the cloud, right? Even if they make the best trade-off decisions, it's always going to go up, right? And so they don't want to piss off their customer, right? And so they are actually naturally incented, especially now that there's more competition between clouds, uh, to actually help solve the problem. And then additionally, when you when you think about features like, I don't know, anomaly detection, right? Like imagine... Someone spins up 10,000 CPUs because, I don't know, they, they, uh, they, their Terraform code was off by one digit or something like that. And all of a sudden, you begin to uh, pay for them, right? Today, most of the tools in the space, they, they work off of the 24-hour billing file, right? 
But if you want real-time insight, maybe you want to work off of stack driver logs or data log log, right? But to do that, you need to ingest the company's application logs, right? Which is something that I think most companies would not want their cloud provider to do. So it feels to me as if for features like that, and there are many others, like integrations with Jira, ServiceNow, the budget stuff, like there needs to be a third-party Switzerland for this, right? And of course, I'd love it to be Ternary, but like I think it, 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 it's a natural fit for the ecosystem where third-party products can do this on behalf of customers. Cloud providers can provide the API and the basic infrastructure and the basic bill, right? And then, of course, the natural ecosystem with partners too, right? But I think it all works really well. I think it's. I think it goes from a very sound idea and probably an important division of responsibility and the sort of correct check and balance thing when you're managing one cloud. It becomes absolutely critical when you're at the multiple cloud vendor layer because there is zero percent chance I am going to send my AWS bill to GCP to have them do the comparative analysis, if only because I want to fight them against each other for negotiation purposes, right? Like this is just a hard no, absolutely not. I'm going to hand them that data, right? Like you can ask any employee at any company anywhere and they will tell you that's probably a bad idea. So it's, you know, it's spots like that where, you know, Switzerland is the right thing. And I, and I think that um, there's a lot where thinking through you know, what we absolutely imagine is the next major phase of all this stuff where an increasing ease of use and simplicity of adoption means you're going to get not less frequent movement between the platforms, but more frequent movement between the platforms over time and more interop and more simplicity. That's the just sort of general trend and always has been. Um, it, you know, you're going to need to manage that or you're going to be in even more risk than you currently bear in your one or two providers that you manage independently. So Miles, you, um, you and SATA have this treasure trove of information that you're yes. sort of sitting on, right? And um, like, what sort of insights do you currently have about customers moving sort of between clouds or like the, the desire? Are there any interesting statistics there? Yeah, so uh, you are you are presaging uh, one of my OKRs for the year. Um, we, we do have a healthy pile of data. We, of course, have to do the Google thing and organize it and make it useful and accessible. But we have it. So at we least like, like step one is complete. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I will tell you, you know, we are very focused on one of those trajectories, like moving from other things to GCP, because that's kind of where our bread gets buttered. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things that's been pretty surprising for us, like all of the pre-existing expectations about like how long it takes to get started and, you know, what, what is the sort of average time for developers who are interacting over, you know, their source control to start submitting patches that look like they're the right kinds of things in a new cloud environment versus the other ones. Like there's a bunch of spots like that where I think the general terror about the human switching costs is a little overblown. Um, and then the other side of that is like, you know, what we're watching is like the technical, how long it takes just for the bytes to flow around and to get the zeros and ones from this thing over to this thing and to actually delete from that thing over there. That seems to be taking longer than a bunch of the estimates that, that we've had held on. So that there's some spots where, you know, we're not only are we surveying the data that we're getting from customers, we're surveying all of our engineers and their their customers in engineering and thinking through kind of like, 
what do you think this ought to be? You know, what's your guess about this number? Do a little wisdom of crowds bit on it. And the comparisons of actuals versus those guesses are, that's one of the spots where there's some pretty startling discrepancies that hopefully will help people move more quickly. Like I was super inspired. Our whole team has been by the Dora metrics and how, you know, how clearly like, if you go faster, you're going safer too, right? As a as a sort of general guiding principle, that's. I think there's going to be some spots out of the data that we've got, and, and that hopefully we're working on together that'll help people come away with the same kind of like, oh, really, okay, I'll give that a try. Gotcha. And, and Mons, I'm just curious, like at a high level, what what was what were the signals that uh, made Sada go all in on on GCP? I mean, you you must have totally. seen. Extraordinary stuff. What, what what was it? Well, so a, a couple of different pieces. Um, you know, Eric Schmidt has a great quote uh, where he says, "You know, revenue cures all ills, uh, mm-hmm. and and growth ain't bad either." Is the sort of back half of that sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, if you're going to be a partner, if you're going to be a remora on a shark, uh, you want the fastest moving shark there is, and Google is growing faster than the rest of them. Um, and I think that. Uh, our position as a partner for customers is that I'm I'm taking the bet together with them. I'm on the hook for the operations of their platform. And I have seen more in SRE and operations reliability and the way that the core systems are operated where I feel just dramatically more comfortable betting my company's future on the operational characteristics of GCP. Like I've been in the DCs for Amazon. I've been in the DCs for Azure. I've been on all these different spots. Like one of those three looks like the Starship Enterprise uh, and is built out of shit I'd never seen before. And, And so the results are, you know, are in are in the pudding, right? The status page speaks for itself. So every one of these systems, everybody goes down, everybody takes downtime. But I also hugely appreciate uh, the degree to which core engineering at Google, you know, is, you know, totally transparent and utterly direct about the postmortems and the analysis thereof is like half of those are college courses on their own about what scaled operations look like and what kinds of problems you can run into when you're in these kinds of macro scale interdependent systems. I, I know a lot of customers that spend a lot of time chewing on those those documents to kind of best understand what to anticipate as they get bigger. And that's that's the team I want to be learning lessons from. So right. it made a lot of sense for us to bet that way. Part of our shtick here is that we went partner first because we recognize that partners already have established and trusted relationships with our customers and we didn't want to get in the way of that and of course you know we're a software company we know how to build software really well we suck at professional services sure it's hard (laughs) totally like that last mile problem is not something we wanted to work with because it's not our core competency right and so we thought like we had heard from one of our early advisors and vcs also that it was really difficult to bolt on a partner program after after you started selling because you have a particular model. Maybe you hire a large sales team, yada yada. And we didn't want to do that. From so right from the start, our strategy was we wanted to go partner first, which meant we would take advantage of their own relationships. They would maintain them themselves. We would just make them great software, not only for the customer but for the partner as well. Right. So like. We have these consoles that we're building just for partners. We are taking feature requests from partners such as yourself. And I don't think we ever want to get into the business of like having that direct sales motion. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, channel, it's a, channel it's conflict a is a thing. 
like, you know, and, and I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of businesses who kind of misunderstand our layer and our part and, uh, you know, not at their peril, but like to the benefit of the businesses that have been able to successfully work with us in this way. Super, you know, big, obvious brand name everybody we know about, um, you know, same rep, same technical team on our side for five and a half years. They're on their seventh Google contact, which is like, that's the way Google needs to operate to do the things that they're doing. I, I totally respect that approach. Customers dislike it, really, just generally. And so the more we can do to be the stateful interface, the the trustworthy component in, in that structure, and frankly, help them get access to the broader set of tools that they're going to need to solve problems, because it can't all exclusively come from a single provider, right? We're all hybrid all the time permanently from right. a infrastructure standpoint, I'm going to stay very focused on GCP because I like making promises. It keeps, but, uh, but it's, but it's also very nice to have the sort of full ecosystem of tools to bring to bear. Awesome. Gents, I, I beat you up for like almost 45 minutes. I'm super impressed. You did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> uh, for, for folks who want to follow up, like how do they find Ternary? How do they make fun of you at the Broad? What's, what's the right next actions for folks? Well, uh, you can just hit us uh, up at our website. It's HTTP ternary.app. And actually, if you want to talk to me, there's like there's a link right at the bottom where you can directly schedule my time. I'm happy to get together. And uh, of course, we, we'd love to continue deepening the relationship with SADA as well. Uh, help you guys with the, uh, with the survey and the, um, and the statistics. Um, yes, Lucas. Huh. <laughs> we'd love to provide it, um, mm -hmm. and, and of course, Lucas is giving us advice as well. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm very thankful that he is uh, assisting. And for me, you can just follow me on Twitter, L U K W A M, and um, I mostly talk about our recent COVID testing work uh, for the most part. But thank you by the way I, I, I enjoy not having covid as a result of a, a nation better informed by the hard work you guys are doing i i look forward to reprising this over karaoke it's the only reasonable next step as far as i'm concerned all right gents i appreciate it thanks a bunch cheers thanks very much Miles. lucas see you Ciao. thank you for listening to cloud and clear Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.